Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. I am your host, Travis Tyler. And today I want to talk about a subject that unfortunately is not talked about enough in the church. As a pastor and behind the scenes, it's one that I deal with quite often. And to help me discuss this issue and to help us think through this issue is my longtime friend, one of my first friends ever, my cousin, Michelle Tyler. Thank you for being with us here today on the ABN. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right, so you're a you're a Christian, you're a believer, and you you run a you run a Facebook page to help with this topic of domestic violence. But let's back it up here to your testimony. And I I want the folks that are listening. You know, I know there's a lot of people that are. I, I hear this a lot as a pastor. And I think it's true. They'll say things like. Uh, I think the hardest people to witness to are our family members because they know us the best. And I can remember witnessing to you and talking to you about Christ and the gospel. I specifically remember us having lunch at Pizza Hut back behind ETSU. So so just tell us about your testimony and coming to Christ. Does that sound good? Okay, it does. I I know through a year, my whole life, um, up until 18 or 19, 20 years old, I just didn't believe in God. There wasn't a God. There's no way there could have been a God. How could there be a God? And he allowed different things to happen to children. Like God doesn't exist. And in my head at that time in high school, I remember it being so clear there is. And I had um, a best friend, Amy, and she didn't believe in God either. Like neither one of us. And we were together in that. We both didn't believe. We, We thought it was silly. And so but I could always feel something. It's like when somebody's a non-believer, why am I continually thinking about that? Why am I continually struggling with that? Why am I continually like I'm a non-believer? Why does it matter to even, why am I being pulled to think about that or have that in my head? And so then I went to college with you <laughs> we would eat lunch together. And I remember you telling me you're praying for me. And I remember you us talking about it and just, it's, you were never, uh, you were never aggressive with it. You were never, um, pushy with it. It was like, you were telling me like in my non-belief, I was able to listen to your belief. So we were able to have conversations back and forth, but, I uh, one conversation, probably, uh, I know it's, there's a couple of conversations we've had. I've, you know, if I don't think about them monthly, even sometimes weekly, and this is one of them, when I looked at you and said that, um, religion is for the weak and it's and it's for the and I don't know why I said it was terrible it was almost mean it's like at that point I yelled and screamed at you and uh said check please I'm out right no no. you you just continued and I could feel you for years I could feel, I don't know how to explain the feeling. I could feel you praying for me. Mm-hmm. And even up until the point that I believed. So I always knew 
because of my childhood being raised with a single mom that I wanted, I would watch cars go down and there um, was two parents in the home. And then I would go to my dad's in the summer and he would come home at five o'clock. His wife was a stay at home mom. Incredible. That seemed like incredible life. Seemed like um, a whole life. And I knew that I didn't believe in God, but I wanted my husband to believe in this false person (laughs) because I knew that would get me my white picket fence marrying a man who believed in this false person and we would take our kids to the church and we would um I wanted that life and so I had met a man that um's dad was a Baptist preacher so he was um my my father my boys kids I have three boys and so he um was a his dad was a Baptist preacher he grew up in the church that's what I wanted. I wanted that normal white picket fence life. And during this entire time, I could still feel you praying for me. It's like, even we would go months and months and months without talking. I knew for a fact in my heart that you were praying for me. And part of my testimony is a weird section where I went to my dad's house and my fiance was there, which again, this is 20 years ago. So it's um, my boy's husband, my boy's dad. And I actually saw a ghost and that ghost, because I remember asking you years later, did you believe in ghosts? And you said, not necessarily ghosts. I don't remember your exact answer on that, but that's what I needed to believe. And so the moment I saw that ghost and I walked um, through the house, my dad had a really big house. So if you, you couldn't do it in this house, like follow a ghost, but in my dad's house, you could like go around corners to follow a, a ghost in Louisiana and I went to my dad. He was on the total opposite side. I thought I was like, Hey dad, come here, dad, come dad. Why are you walking away from me? Stop walking. And it, it was really the ghost. And my dad's and my stepmom said there was a, um, they called him the white jacket ghost in the house. And I had saw that. And at that moment I knew there was a God there had, there was an afterlife. And I started, um, I started my journey with Christ. And I remember going, when I first started going to church with my husband, we didn't go to his dad's church because there was, um, just differences in, I struggled with that church. So we went to this big church and it was Rocky Ramsey's church, an incredible man, an incredible pastor. And I remember first walking in that building and he had couches outside. And for six months, I wouldn't even go into the, into the service area. I couldn't, like I'm, it was my journey and that was part of my journey. And for six months, I sat outside on the couches and watched on TV because I was so overwhelmed with even being in the building. And then I remember the first and uh, Rocky would always come by and say, Hey, how are y'all doing? I wouldn't even give my kids over to the childcare. <laughs> I was probably still <laughs> the most skeptical person. Then finally I would sit, we moved and my husband was so patient with me. Like my husband was obviously a believer and had, um, went, you know, his whole life. And so he was so patient with my journey. And then I was in the very back row when I first walked in there. And within a couple of years, I finally was on the very front row, but, um, that is, and then I was in community groups. I remember walking into my first community group. And when I tell you three spots on my face broke out, walking into that room, my, that's how stressful that moment was. And that group of women now call their, they name their group at the 30 somethings, 
because I thought they were my age when they were 50 year old women. <laughs> so I, I thought they were 30, but, um, that's my testimony is like, but the entire time I could feel you praying for me. And so that prayer was so strong. Like now I've asked that you pray for my boys because I, I can feel you praying for my boys. And, um, that's my testimony and how you, you, you were really committed to a naturalistic, only what you can see and prove is real. That was your, that was your commitment in the beginning, wasn't it? It was a very yeah. much, uh, if you can't, if it's not flesh and blood, see touch, proof positive, scientific method, it's not real. And God used a supernatural event. And, you know, this is not an uncommon thing, particularly in Muslim countries when people are coming to Christ. I've read reports of, uh, you know, people seeing Christ and being, you know, just like Paul in the book of Acts. So God can use whatever means necessary to save those that he wishes. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. I wanted to share that on this because uh, all the listeners, I think, uh, you know, how scared you were to enter the church. Believers are just as scared to talk to their unbelieving family as you were to enter the church. And so I want to hear <laughs> they are. Uh, I wanted them to hear that it's one important that you do it. And two, it's always good to hear how God works in people's lives. And so, you know, that's the two reasons there. So if you're listening to this and I think Michelle is testimony to this, please take the time to talk to your loved ones who don't know the Lord and to pray for them uh, and continue to do it. Right. Cause we're talking like this was a years long process for you. It didn't just happen when we sat down at pizza hut one day. Right. I made it. Yes. I kind of made it sound like it was a short, but it was a, it was like almost like it was not on your goals. That sounds terrible to say it like that. But if you reverse it and think it took you years of not of years of working with me and every time you seeing me, not, a, not over aggressively, cause you knew if you press too much, it would have been, it would have, it would have been offsetting to the goal. So it's not, it's just planting a seed here and planting a seed there and, you planted it with humor. So we would be, you, you, any truth or said in jest. Because you drew, you drew me in with humor because I've always migrated towards you, but then little seeds were planted every time I saw you. And it's that little seeds planted that it, over a long period of time that brings people to God. And I appreciate the work you put in to, and finally, I think I said to you and funny, it's time to, you've got me now I'm going to need you to work on my boys <laughs> to praying for them. Our family is me and my wife though. So we're, we're the Lord is uh, always on the move and always on the work, just joining him in that work. So that's good. Uh, all right, well, let's shift gears here. I, I just want to make sure everybody heard that because I, that's important as you think through these matters. Let's uh, let's talk about it's, it isn't worth the plates and, where this came from. Michelle's mother is my dad's sister. So we're first cousins. And um, we're going to go back to 2009, Father's Day weekend. And uh, you, at this point, your mother was not married to your biological father. Your biological father had married another woman and kind of started a new life and had moved down to Knoxville some years prior but she had married a man from, I think it was Indiana and uh, just kind of pick up the story there. How's that sound? She had met a man and he lived up the street. He actually, him and his children 
had always lived up the street from us, but he was from Indiana that he lived like, I don't know, seven houses up. And so they had got married and, um, it was a quick, they had met each other, then married and then moved in. And then once, um, once they moved in together, it's things started, things started being a little weird. And so then she would call me and looking back at it. And I wrote on this, um, on my website, she called me one time and she said, I think he's poisoning my coffee. And my advice to her was not get out. It was not run because it's hard to believe somebody's going to poison your coffee. But if your gut is telling you somebody's poisoning your coffee, that we're not listening to our gut. And so my advice to my mom was, well, leave that coffee on the counter and use a different coffee underneath the counter. Like, so you're not being poisoned. That doesn't make any sense. Like, that advice doesn't make any sense now that I think about it. It's just that we are, we don't talk about domestic violence. We don't talk about domestic abuse. We don't talk about that somebody that we could love or married isn't who they said they were going to be. And we start seeing a different person, a manipulative person, somebody that I think the biggest misconception is that when you meet somebody or the, the worst thing said to a domestic violence survivor is is that we believe that the person was a jerk the entire time. Well, why did you marry him? Did you know that he was like that before? Well, when some, when you marry someone that is mean, they didn't start out mean. Like the man that my mom married was incredible, had incredible dates, would take her to incredible places, was so kind and giving and loving. And it wasn't until after they said, I do, that things started to change. And, and it's a gradual process. It's not a, um, it's not instant. It is gradual. So they'll start doing something weird or odd and they allow you adjust to, to adjust to that. And they allow you to start seeing that as normal. And they use their words to manipulate the situation to make you think, Hey, it's you. Mm. I'm perceiving it wrong. And so when mom came to me and she was like, I think my coffee's being poisoned. My, my head was like, I can't believe somebody was going to kill her, like actually kill her. Well, mom, if he's putting poison in your coffee, let use because her hair was falling out. Different things were starting to happen in her marriage with her body that she was like, this is odd. My hair shouldn't be falling out by the chunks. And, and if you noted, she was a nurse, so she would have been very familiar with what normal aging process would have been for somebody her age versus a not healthy aging process or, you know, sickness, right? right? For so. an instant starting to feel bad, she was like, after my coffee, I don't feel like I used to. Like, I don't, like, I'm sure with the poisoning, like, once you drink it, it's like an instant you start feeling sick or you start feeling nauseous. I think she did. She did the trick that I told her. But why did I not tell her to get out? Why did I not tell her to run? So that went, that went on. And then I would bring my boys up there and something just wasn't right. So it started to get to the point to where one day when um, she picked the boys up, we were in a parking lot, they had their camper, they were going to take them camping. And this man, um, we can say his name, Joe, he was, he was around the camper scolding my children. Now, Travis, I think you've known me long enough. If you want to discipline my children, I'll be right there with you. Let's discipline them. Let's go right now. And <laughs> we are a team um, of discipliners. We will discipline these children. But he was, I was on the front of the camper 
my mom had walked around the back of the camper and he was scolding them like down silently to where no one could hear. And they were tiny. They were little, um, no older than six. And then when my mom came back around the camper, he got up like he was Mary Poppins and he was like, come on boys. Like he couldn't see, he wasn't even seeing that I was watching this entire time. He was doing it in secret. So what else was he doing? I don't even know why I let my kids get, I should have taken them and put them back in the car and been like, we're leaving. But that was the last time I allowed my kids to be in his, because I started seeing there's something not right. There's something different and odd. And that's an abusive behavior to do it in secret. And so I only would take my children up there when um, he was going to Indiana. There is, it's Father's Day weekend, June of 2009. You are heading to a baby shower for another one of our cousins, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your mom has a famous cheese ball she's supposed to bring. Right. But she doesn't show up. She doesn't show up. She would be texting me from the night before to two days before. She would be texting me constantly to the point where at the time you don't see it as young adults. You think your parents are driving you crazy. Enjoy that crazy. Enjoy those texts because she would text me and text me and text me. It's like, I'm so excited to see you. I'm so excited to see the boys. Make sure you bring this to theirs and nothing. So Friday night, I heard nothing from her and um, texting her, calling her. And then Saturday, my sister and I went to the baby shower, had the baby. Um, Mom was supposed to bring a cheese ball, nothing. And so we got up from the baby shower about 10 or 15 minutes in. Mom hadn't showed up, shown up. She um, hadn't called, no cheese ball, nothing. And we went to her aunt and we said, we're sorry, we've got to go. There is something wrong. But murder wasn't in her head. We just thought maybe there was an argument or a fight and he had held her hostage. And in her head, this is the scenario we were going through as we were driving. I said, oh, I forgot um, this part when I was telling you before we began. I said, Angel, you're going to have a cigarette in your hand. And when you go to the door, when Joe answers, you are going to say, hey, can you send mom out here? I've got a cigarette. I'm smoking. And we used to smoke. And um, send mom on outside because he thought uh, we, we thought it was just like a domestic. They've been in an argument, maybe that your brain can't fathom or that scenario of someone being dead isn't something that's in your mind. And so when we got there, we, we even parked in the next driveway over and I stayed in the car and Angela got out of the car because I had a baby in the car. Cause that's another thing. Who's getting out of the car and Angel's like, I'll do it. And when um, Joe, before he had, he had shut the night before my mom was talking to her best friend. And she said, um, what was Rhonda, she said, Rhonda, I'm going in um, to get my granny's plates. If I do not call you back, something's wrong. And so when she went in to get her granny's plates, he had called into work Um He had apparently was waiting on her in the bedroom. He had shot at her and she ran away from him. And then in the corner of the hallway, he got her point blank. And so when she didn't call Rhonda back, Rhonda went over to the house and the shades were drawn. And so she kept like mom went and pulled her car into the driveway. The car was in mom went and pulled her car into the garage, excuse me. And the car was in the, um, in the garage the garage was shut. All the Rhonda said she went completely around the house. Every shade blind in the house was completely closed. 
But when we got there the next day, the blinds were open. And so when Angela looked in the house, um, she saw apparently mom and Joe's. Joe had uh, burned money, uh, shredded stamps. He had done a bunch of weird stuff. And then he went and laid or stood next to her and killed himself. Very much a, a scorched earth mentality. If I can't have this, no one will. I think that that's a little bit how I survive. Like he, he was a Vietnam veteran. And so there, I'm sure there was some damage there. And it's a, yes, if I love her so much, even though that thought process is wrong, I love her so much. I, if I can't have her, nobody is. And I think that that's what is so important about, um, they call them DVPOs here in North Carolina, but they're um, restraining orders. Restraining orders are actually going to protect you. It's a piece of paper. But what restraining orders are going to do is it's going to give somebody time to cool off and get out of that, um, what did you call it, burned earth? Burned, yeah, scorched earth mentality. Yeah. Scorched earth, it gets people time to get out of that scorched earth mentality to where they can calm down and go, oh, okay, I can survive without her or him. Um, because no, right. <laughs> yeah, I can get some help. Like I can, and <clears throat> that's why my website's called it isn't worth the plates is because she shouldn't have went in that house. He went in to get her granny's plate, her mama's plates, my granny's plates. And, um, that's our grandmother, right? <laughs> yeah. She went in. Yes. She went in to get granny's plates and never made it back out. It was, it's not worth the plates. It's not when you're in a domestic violence situation, if you have, and it, it's easier to say this than it is to do it. But if you have to walk away with just your shirt on your back, you can rebuild. You can, I mean, you can't ever get granny's plates back, but you can rebuild. And, and we would say this now, we would much rather have her than granny's plates. I think. Absolutely. And so, you know, um, so yeah, so there may be a listener right now who is in a similar situation uh, they're noticing strange things. They're maybe thinking, well, maybe this is, maybe I'm in an abusive relationship. Maybe I'm not. What advice do you think you would give now if your mom called you and you could go back to yourself back in 2000, whatever year that was, where she said, I think somebody's, po I think he's poisoning my coffee. Would you have told her get out now? What would you have said to your mother then? I would have, I would have been more vocal. I don't understand at that point, why I wasn't, I would have been more, I would have been more vocal. I think that we all have friends and this is advice to the person going through it, but it's also advice to the friend. We're all on the outside some, sometimes looking into somebody going through the abuse and we're not vocal because we're afraid to be vocal because our brain stops us. We're, most of us are normal people with normal thoughts and it is hard for us to conceptualize that somebody else has ill thoughts or behaviors or manners or, or processes. It's hard for us to fathom that. It's hard for us to believe that. So I know that I would be like, mom, get out right now. I don't, don't even pack a bag, walk out your front, your front door. And it's not worth it. If we are sitting in relationships and we think somebody's going to kill us, that is not the relationship for us. And why we still stay in that house, I can't understand that. Like, I, I can't. I've been through it. I get it. You start second-guessing yourself. You don't want another failed marriage, that's for sure. Like, how embarrassing. It is so, like, I'm two marriages in now. It is so embarrassing for me to have to distinguish between which husband. 
you know, sorry to interrupt, but, you know, I think you make a really good point here. There are going to be pastors that are listening to this. And I know this because I'm a pastor and they're going to have women in their congregation that are in situations like your mother was in. And we're going to get to your last marriage here in just a minute. But uh, I hope the pastors hear what you're saying. Uh, there's a temptation, I think, as pastors to be sometimes dismissive whenever a woman comes to us after church or whenever. And there's, and I'll be quite honest, sometimes there's fear, you know, because it's like if you're a pastor and there's a woman approaching you and she's trying to reach out for help, you're like, I don't want to get in the middle of this. I had one pastor even say, <laughs> he said, just don't get in the middle of it because, uh, you know, if you get in the middle of it and they make up, then you're going to be the bad guy. So just stay away from it. I don't know that that's really good pastoral counsel because I feel like I wish that my aunt, your mother would have had a good pastor at the time that would have said, you know, you really, you really maybe ought to consider a separation for a period if that's the case. You know what I mean? I, I don't know that we, I would say counsel divorce right away, but if there's a dangerous situation, I feel confident as a pastor, what I would have said was you need to get out of the situation. This concludes part one of It Isn't Worth the Plates. Please tune in next week to hear the second part about Michelle's marriage and what God has taught her through this. Thank you, and please check the show notes for helpful articles and how you can get a hold of Michelle if you find yourself in need of someone to talk to about your situation or someone that you know. Have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.